topic of tonight's conversation is forgiveness and specifically our need to extend forgiveness to others. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, you know, God, let your name be regarded as holy, let your kingdom come, and let your will be done, all three of those things, on earth as it is in heaven. And then what? Food. Give us the food we need for today and forgive us. Just like we forgive others. Hmm, interesting. And then protect us from temptation. And then, and then all the credit will go to God, right? So it's really simple, like super practical. We need food to live. We need mercy to live. And we need to extend mercy to live. Help. Like that's really the four things. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. You're, you're forgiven. Help. Super practical. Have you ever gotten tired of your need to continue to extend forgiveness? Like, can we move on now, Jesus, to some other truth that I need, can learn now? Like, why am I still having to extend forgiveness regularly? And it's helpful for me to remember, oh, no, no, when, when Jesus' disciples said, teach us to pray, he built receiving and extending forgiveness into the daily fabric. It's not something you grow out of. It's something you get good at and keep practicing. You don't love God if you don't love your neighbor. That's the chorus. No, you don't love God if you don't love your neighbor, if you gossip about him. And the harmonies, see? That's why I wanted you to hear. The harmonies are the... Wow. The melody is super simple. And who is it? I'll look it up. Rhonda Vincent and the Rage. You don't love God if you don't love... If you gossip about him, if you never have mercy, if he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him, then you don't love your neighbor and you don't love God. But this thing of you don't love God if you don't love your neighbor, including showing mercy, include, like, like it's not just not punishing him or her. It's withholding affection and help. Uh, Bruce on Sunday said, um, he was telling me about, I, I, the, the first week he told me about a medieval bread oven that instead of building a small oven, they just turned the entire room, built the whole room out of like mud daub and clay, basically clay, and built a huge fire in the middle of the room but set bread everywhere all over in the room. The whole room became an oven, you could make a huge amount of bread in, in one day, and sure, some of the bread would be soft, some of the bread would be way too done, and you just tried to show up and get to the front of the line and pick the bread you liked. And I, so then the next week I said, I thought about that bread thing you said all week long. Tell me, else, tell me something else cool. Because he just has a deep well of knowledge about medieval history. And he said, okay, Richard the Lionheart was arrogant and mean, thought he was better than other people. He was a king in England, but he only spoke French and didn't like people who spoke English. And he was such a dirty rascal for a number of reasons, but when he was at war, the enemy he was fighting found out that he had uh, scurvy, like vitamin C deficiency, which apparently happened back in the day. I guess they didn't realize, just eat your veggies and you'll be fine. And his enemy sent him like orange, some sort of orange thing that they knew would fix it. And, and Bruce said, that just blew me away, that that's how he would treat his greatest enemy in 
time of war. We're trying to kill each other, but here's your medicine. (laughs) Interesting. So on this topic of forgiveness, I have, let's see how many questions. I have eight questions, nine questions. Question one, what are some reasons not to forgive? Too painful? Mm, feels like you're risking being hurt again to extend forgiveness. What else? Forgiveness is hard for most of us to extend. Does it feel like sometimes you're letting somebody off the hook and they don't deserve it, right? Some sort of, they deserve to at least feel the weight of what they've done. It's a, it feels almost like a perpetuating an injustice or taking part in a wrong for me to forgive. Any other reasons why forgiveness doesn't seem... So if I forgive, it'll just keep the cycle going. It seems pretty normal, doesn't it, and natural for us humans to feel deeply justified, deeply justified in holding on to our hurt, resentment, our, even our disdain, our anger, our offense, and I don't think most of us would use this word, but if we were more honest, we would, even our hatred for people, and not just for what they did to us. Sometimes it's easier to forgive what someone did to you, but harder to forgive forgive what someone did to someone else you care about. Particularly, I've noticed spouses and children really trigger our unforgiveness. Like the kid might not be struggling with unforgiveness, but the parents are. Not always, but sometimes. It does seem natural and normal to hold on to those hurts, resentments. If I could like, just sort of describe it, not define it, but describe it. Unforgiveness seems to be holding on to hurt and a sense that it is my job to make that person somehow pay. It's a combination of holding on to hurt, but also holding on to, it's my job to demand repayment. It's fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus connects forgiveness with debt. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So there's something that feels like you owed me something and you didn't give it. So now you're in, you're in a deficit in, re, in regard to me. And I'll let you back into my good graces when you repay the debt. You're in the red. When you've earned your way out of the red, you'll be in the black. And I'm not gonna let you off the hook because I'll be blessing bad behavior and it wouldn't be right. And some people literally think that the God of the cross is making very irresponsible, sinful people by extending so much grace to people. There's an atheist who died of throat cancer a few years back who I really enjoyed, uh, Christopher Hitchens. Oh, he was mean. Brilliant, I loved him, I loved him. He also ticked me off so bad with some of the incredible offensive things he said and, and, and thought. But one of the things he said was that the cross makes immoral people by teaching people not to take responsibility for their actions and change. All they have to do is throw it off on Jesus and stay sinful. What kind of religion would do that? Ooh, it's lots of misunderstandings built into that. But that mindset, 
would say, that's irresponsible. You're not only throwing off your own sins onto Jesus, you're throwing other people's sins off to Jesus. You're not holding them accountable. You're not requiring them to change. And I would say, you're misunderstanding biblical forgiveness because biblical forgiveness is not cheap grace. So question one was, what are some reasons not to forgive? I liked your answers. Question two, what are the costs and benefits of unforgiveness? Right, to every course of action, there's costs and benefits. Wow, you get stuck. Have you ever noticed in your mind, the person who hurts you has not changed or become a different person when you don't forgive them? No matter who they actually are right now, in your mind, your unforgiveness freeze frames them at that worst moment of maybe their life, who knows? You get stuck and you imagine they are the ones who is stuck in this state. A friend of mine, he said, it's a grievous sin against the Holy Spirit not to assume that your brother has repented and God has not been acting graciously since you last saw him. If you see your brother sin, pray for him and believe that the Holy Spirit is drawing him back to a better place. And if you assume that there's no grace at work in his life, no Holy Spirit at work in his life, no drawing power, no, no preserving power, you are being presumptuous and sinning against the grace of God. That's an interesting idea. Is he exaggerating? I, I don't know. But I, I felt like there was some truth in what he was saying. Okay, one of the costs is you get stuck. Any other co- What are some costs and benefits to unforgiveness? You start to keep record of wrongs. Like 1 Corinthians says, 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs, but we do. Yeah, we call it gunny, I call it gunny sacking, where when, a bit, when, when, something, when something little creates a huge reaction, it's usually because it's being placed into a huge bag full of collected offenses that the person's carrying around. You always blah, 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 blah. What do you mean you always? Love keeps no record of wrongs and you've got a whole bag of everything I've done since 1998. Any other costs of unforgiveness? Bitterness. And how does bitterness affect a human heart? Hardens. Bitterness. Ooh, I remember having lunch with a young man and they were recounting to me a story of someone they loved, their father, and the, the perceived wrongs done to their father. And I watched as this person told me the story, I could see, you know how you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. I could see waves of demonic rage wafting across the the table at Smith's in Greenwood back when that was there. As he was reflecting on that story, a new wave of bitterness, but I'm telling you guys, it was more than human bitterness. It was fueled by a demonic energy. And I was genuinely frightened for him and for others who were in his life. I have rarely seen that much bitterness take such a deep hold on a human heart. Any other costs? I'll give you one real quick. There's a massive toll on our physical health when we hold on to hurts done to us or others we love. And to some people that hurt comes out different ways, but you can't tell me your emotional state doesn't affect your body. It just, science tells you it does. Stress, they say a body flooded with stress is more likely to have all sorts of problems. Hypertension, inflammatory stuff, headaches, backaches. I mean, the Bible says it too, right? It rots the bones. 
Science says the same thing. Anything else? What does it do to your relationships? Yeah, have you ever seen somebody who, if you don't agree with their version of the narrative, we can't be friends anymore? And you're not even the one who they're bitter against? But now you're not loyal to me because you don't agree with me? Wow, factions come out of unforgiveness, don't they? Suspicious that everyone's against you. There's just, and we, we could go on and on and it wouldn't, I'm, I'm getting less happy just talking about this, so let's change to the next point. <laughs> Probably for all of you, as I was telling those couple stories, stories were popping into your heads too, aren't they? You were cross-referencing things in your own life. This is a super vivid example of unforgiveness. There's a lady whose brother, Gene, when he was four, a man began to beat her when she was like one, a baby. And the four-year-old kid, her big brother, jumped in there and the man beat him instead and gave him a severe brain injury, which left him with some significant disabilities for the rest of his life. Okay, this is the woman. I made the mistake of Googling him. I looked him up to see what happened when he got out of jail. And I discovered some cutesy newspaper article about his 25th wedding anniversary. And there was a picture, and I wish I'd never seen it. Because for my entire life, he'd been a monster. But in the picture, he didn't look like a monster at all. There weren't any horns. There, were no, there was no tattoo across his forehead that said, I'm a child abuser. He looked just like a human. Bald and fat, like any guy at the grocery store. He wasn't marked by what had happened. Not like Gene is marked. And I'd always wanted to believe that when our world stopped, his world stopped too. I wanted him to be racked with self-hatred and spiral into drug addiction. But he went on to have a life. He only spent a year in prison. Then he got married and had three kids. I mean, maybe it wasn't the greatest life. The photo looked like it was taken in the community center of a trailer park, but still, it was a life. And he experienced things that Gene is never going to experience, and that's not fair. Sure, in the end, it's a feel-good story. Gene turned out to be an amazing person. Gene graduated from high school, but that's because of Gene, not this beep. I won't say his name. I've known his name for 50 years. That much grace I can give. I won't destroy his family, not like he destroyed mine. But I'm not forgiving him. I hope he burns in hell. Because if the legal system forgives him, and if Gene forgives him, and if God forgives him, then what is left? There has to be some place in the universe where he's held accountable. Fifty years ago, that monster attacked a little baby. I was just a baby, and Gene sacrificed himself to save my life. And I've gone on to be blessed beyond all measure. I've had a career and a family and children things that Gene will never be able to experience. So maybe it's the least I can do. Maybe the least I can do is carry that anger and never forgive. So that in some way I'm still afflicted so that Gene isn't the only one hurt.
So Gene, he's forgiven. He's, he's moved on, even with all his limitations. But his sister has not and seems clearly to think sh- that she should not. She dare not forgive. You pray for her. I love Humans of New York. He just takes a, a picture of people and then he interviews them real quick. And people are so incredibly vulnerable. Humans are really, really amazing and interesting. What a cool job, by the way. Take pictures of people and say, who are you? And just ask them the next question based on what they say. And then post a paragraph on Facebook with their picture. And it's absolutely amazing. Humans of New York. So I think she gave us some very eloquent but misguided answers as to why not forgive. So the flip question would be question four. What are some reasons to forgive? Uh, Three was, can you think of notable examples of unforgiveness? And this was my notable example of unforgiveness. Yeah, and so question four is, what are some reasons to forgive? You were saying? Forgiveness sets you free from carrying that hurt anymore. The The way I like to think about it is, if you don't, whoever you do not forgive is discipling you, is shaping you, is pottering you. You are being formed and shaped in the hands of that hurt you refuse to forgive and let go. Even if it's in the form of, well, I'll never let that happen again. And you start to make all these, these vows and, and you start to form your life around that thing that happened that hurt you is now it's the sun your solar system is orbiting around. I'm going to, I'll never let that happen again. Oh, wow, I never let. So following Jesus is not. If all we do whenever we get hurt by people is we say, how can we keep from ever getting hurt again? Then following Jesus is no longer our mission because he lays his life down for people regularly. Holy Spirit's goal is not pain avoidance, but how can we never let that happen again? can have some pain avoidance at the core of it. So then Jesus is no longer Lord. My little heart, feeling okay is Lord. Reasons to forgive, and and Gail said, because it sets you free. It sets you free. Uh, Dorothy Chup, I still says this all the time. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting your enemy to die. There's the rain, which we needed, so it's okay. (laughs) Any other reasons to forgive? Peace and comfort. Oh, my word, yes, yes, yes. I do a lot of inner healing prayer with the, with the young people out at Reach and the amount of Holy Spirit peace that comes as we let these hurts go. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. You said, what about, you said the benefit to the one who does the forgiving. Do you guys remember the scene in Les Mis, Les Miserables? The, the main character is caught stealing like silver or silverware from the priest. Who remembers what I'm talking about? And the cops are like, we caught him red-handed. And he's like, his life's going to be ruined, right? He was already, his life was already ruined for, for stealing bread when he was a kid. Now he's an adult. And this will, this will finish him. This is the end of his life. And the priest goes, oh, no, no, no. He didn't steal, steal those from me. The priest lies to the cops. Says, I gave him those as a gift. Runs back in the house and says, you forgot the rest. Gives him even more of his thousands of dollars worth of silver. Loads him up. That grace, that forgiveness, that unbelievable grace radically saves 
the undeserved kindness, completely unearned, completely undeserved. Man, the, the cop that's chasing this dude his whole life, that is the, that's the law. Like the, in, that, in the Les Mis world, that is law, and that priest is grace. You know, so when you extend forgiveness to people, you're manifesting God's heart and the gospel, and you're giving them an opportunity to be absolutely floored. Enough said. What's any other reasons to forgive? To be an example of what, Tim? To be an example of grace. To be an example of Jesus, right? The, at the center of the gospel is forgiveness. At, like at the core of the gospel is forgiveness. And when we forgive, we're simply participating in the action, just the nature of the kingdom we belong to. Yeah, question five is redundant. I was going to say, what are the costs and benefits of forgiveness? But let's talk about the costs. What are the costs of forgiveness? Feels like you are letting, you are letting go of your rights, aren't you? Anytime you forgive, you are absorbing a death for the sake of the relationship to come alive. Every act of forgiveness is the one who is forgiving, absorbing a cost. It's sacrificial to forgive. Now we've said there's benefits and they're real. Here's another cost. To forgive, I have to be able to go down into my pain, face it, name it, mine it to dig it out and let God have it. And a lot of us hold on to it and let it live in us because we're terrified to fully face it. We just keep running, just keep moving, just keep, now the relationship doesn't always live, but your side, your side of the relationship does then. God did this and it doesn't guarantee that everyone goes to heaven and he did this for literally everyone. But this opened the door on his side for everyone to be reconciled to him. Because his door, the door of God's heart, is wide open to the entire world. That's what this means. Surely that's what the cross means, right? He doesn't want anyone to die, to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. This is wide open on his side. This keeps his heart pure. Sin doesn't affect God. This is the proof. It changed us, not him. I agree with that 100%. So I'm going to say this for the microphone to hear it. Carolyn said that the pure in heart see God, and when we extend forgiveness, it keeps our heart from being polluted by unforgiveness, bitterness, resentments. It keeps us in a place where God's love can flow through us, and we actually have a better than ability to perceive and flow with God. And I would say it also gives us the ability to see the value of people beyond or deeper than the surface of what they're, how they're behaving. Right? Because to the pure, all things are pure. But those who are, to those who are defiled, nothing is pure. So a person who is messed up views the whole world as being royally messed up. Question six. Can you think of any notable examples of forgiveness? Oh, it's extremely, extremely common to have sexual abuse, molestation, those kinds of things. And they hold such, those experiences have hold such power uh, over, I was going to say over children, but the reality is over people mm-hmm. until we allow other people who love us, who are safe, in as a way of letting God in, you know? And, and like you're saying, like a, a kid doesn't have the grid to comprehend, I'm being manipulated and lied to, you know, by this bigger, more powerful person. 
And the perspective, because that's a key, isn't it? When the perspective shifted, forgiveness was much more possible. I, I allow a certain level of mystery for that kind of stuff, just like, you know, the, you know John uh, Wimber's in the airplane, and he says, see that man over there? And he's like, what? And he's like, looks at him, and he's got a big, uh, the word adultery, like right on, on, over his head. And he goes, what? Why am I seeing that? And he's like, because he's committing adultery with his secretary, he's cheating on his wife, and I need you to go tell him that, that this is his warning that either he repents and gets this affair out of his life or I'm going to take him. He didn't say I'm going to kill him. He said, or I'm going to take him. And, and John's like, what do you mean like take him? Like, he's going to die? A total stranger. Total stranger, by the way. So he's like, he goes over to the guy and he's, he's next to a woman and he whispers, um, hey, uh, God, let me know that you're having an affair and he said that if you don't cut it out, you're going to die. And, uh, and the guy's like, shh not here, and he takes him, it was like a double-decker Airbus, takes him upstairs to get away, because that was his wife next to him. And he's like, now what is this? And he's assuming, the guy's assuming, like, you've been spying on me, you have, you've been a private investigator hired by somebody to take me out, or, and he's like, no, God just told me, I saw this, he just told him what happened. The guy breaks down, he's like, what do I do? And he's like, John's an evangelist, so he just, he knew what to do then. Once the guy was like, what do I do? And he's crying. He's going, oh, I know what this is. This is called conviction. He's ripe. It's time to lead him to Jesus for, to receive forgiveness. So he leads him in a prayer. The guy receives forgiveness. And then he, this burden goes, this burden of guilt lifts off of him because he realizes he's forgiven and the affair's done and, it's, and he's free and clear of all this pressure. He didn't realize he was caring probably, you know. And he's like, oh. And he gets up, thank you so much. And he gets up to go and John goes, wait. And he's like, what? And he goes, you're not done. Now you have to tell your wife. So he goes, they go downstairs and John sits back in his seat and the guy goes down, goes up, sits down. Now he's just watching, he can't hear. And he sees, what? Lady turns around, looks at him like, that guy? That normal looking dude, he had a message from God? And he's like, then she's crying and then they're crying. Anyway, I think that they're, they're, Marriage was reconciled, by the way. But that's outside my box. But that reminded me of, of, of that same story. Okay, we still haven't defined what forgiveness is. I'm gonna skip, move forward. Question seven, how do you define forgiveness? It, it looks to me like we're not gonna get through all the material I prepared. Say it again. So letting go of, letting go of your right to punish is part of forgiveness. Anything else? Yo, I never said forgive and forget. I haven't brought that word into it. <laughs> and you know why we would say that, right? Because divine forgiveness, he never remembers it against you ever again. Now, I don't think that means he doesn't know what happened. I know a lot of people think that. It means he does not remember it against you. Your sins I will not remember anymore. Now, my friend Harold Eberly literally thinks that God, who is omniscient, chooses to break his own principle of his attribute and literally doesn't know. And I'm like, that's just silly, bro. But okay. Yes, the school shooting in Pennsylvania with the Amish, yeah. So that's, that goes way beyond letting go of your right to punish, doesn't it? What, the, what you just described that Amish community as doing, that's actively showering love on someone. That's way different than not actively showering rage and punishment on someone. 
Actually, that was one of the things that I thought of as an example of forgiveness was that exact community in that situation. But, so here's what I have so far in my life, right? Because these things develop over the span of many decades of walking with Jesus, right? Here's what I got. Forgiveness is releasing the hurt to God and giving up our right to punish or withhold love from the person for the wrong done. And we, intr- we hand them over to God as the righteous judge. It's not us giving up on the idea that there is judgment. It's us handing them over to God as the judge. And that's really helpful because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, clothe him, right? Vengeance is mine, but you, I want you to love your enemy. It's, it's, part of that is letting God be the one whose heart is pure and strong enough to be able to handle holding that anger correctly, knowing it's too big for me, it's too heavy for me, I can't do it. But I'm not saying there will, no, there will be no justice in the universe. Jean, the, the lady... There has to be some justice in the world. And if God's going to forgive this, then I'm the only one left in the whole universe that cares about truth and justice and order and love. So she's thinking that her unforgiveness is holding the moral fabric of the universe, the meaning of her her brother's life somehow together because she doesn't have a vision of a good father whose ways are right and totally righteous, who you can trust to always do what is best, really and truly always do what is best. So you can entrust this person who sinned greatly and hurt you or your friend or your loved one or your kid or whoever to God. That's, on, that's exactly right. And at the very end of my notes, I have some statements. No, 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 don't be sorry. You're, you're anticipating an incredibly important emotional truth, which is, Every act of biblical forgiveness is also an act of condemning the wrong that was done. Biblical forgiveness is not sweeping something under the rug. It's not excusing it. It's not just overlooking it. It is condemning it as wrong and then giving up your right to punish. And if you, if you haven't condemned it as wrong, that's not biblical forgiveness. It's just like I say that one friend of mine whose husband would cheat on her, but because she didn't think she could live without him, she overlooked it. She thought she was being merciful. She was being unloving to herself and to him and Jesus. But she probably thought of herself as a wonderful, glowing example of grace. She was not. Grace would have probably kicked his butt to the curb and said, you will change. Here's why I'm saying what I'm saying. People stuff things down, don't really deal with them, and claim that they have forgiven. And when you dig deep into the heart, if they haven't mined the pain and condemned the thing, stated as emotionally honestly as they, as they possibly can. When, we, when I work with people with, with inner healing stuff, I ask you to say as clearly and precisely as possible what you are forgiving that person for. Say it to them like they're in the room, even if they're dead. Say it to them like they're in the room, I forgive you for. And then be as precise and as emotionally honest as possible. I forgive you for. And what happens is oftentimes incredible pain and hurt and anger come swelling up that would never have come swelling up if you shoved it down and said, I've I've just, it's okay, I'm trying to forgive you. 
Don't try. The grace is here right now to forgive. Okay, so we're out of time. We didn't get to Matthew 18, parable of the unforgiven servant. We didn't get to Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. We didn't get to Luke 6, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. We didn't get to Ephesians 4, to be like your heavenly Father. Uh, We didn't get through some of my favorite quotes. So we might take this up next time. But I will say this. When you ask people, who, who do you need to forgive? Ask a Christian, who do you need to forgive? And they, when their standard answer is, nobody, I love everyone. But ask them the question, who hurt you? And they have a list and hours of stories. But it's a trick question, because the question who hurts you is the question, who do you need to forgive? Yeah, yeah. That was part of the last question was, how? How do we how? How does it work? How can we do it? And what my experience has been is if you tell people as a law or a rule, Christians ought to forgive, that doesn't help us forgive. Just knowing that we should doesn't help us do it. So what, when we allow in a, in a safe space where Jesus is real and you have some helpful people with you, when you allow Jesus to actually come into that pain point and bring his presence and his comfort and his truth to bear first, right? So when I do inner healing stuff with people, it almost always first is about Jesus pinpointing the wound and then ministering incredible comfort to, to, the, to the hurting heart. When he ministers comfort to you, when you experience his hug and his love, it just makes you trust him. And then you say, where were you when this happened? Right, because people ask that question theoretically all the time. Where were you, God? But they mean it as an accusation, not a genuine question. And he was there. So when you ask it as a genuine question and he shows you where he was and you see what was in his heart and then you say, okay, and you're feeling his comfort and love, that to me I have found once people, once we experience God's comfort in the place of our wounding, We trust him a little bit more to allow him then to receive our pain as we want to give it, as we can then give it to him because we trust him more. But if you just legally, if you just quote Bible verses and tell people it's your duty to forgive as a Christian, that's not very helpful. That's not very helpful. And because then they'll end up saying the words but not feeling the words and meaning the words. So this is what I do at like September, I think I'm scheduled to go again. And for 40 hours in a room full of 45 people or 38 to 45 people, all day long from morning till evening, kids sit in the seat, kids meaning you know, late teens to mid-20s, sit in the seat and the Holy Spirit leads us to something, either there's something they need to repent of or something they need to be, forgive somebody for. And we just allow the Lord to pinpoint stuff that needs to be exactly like we're saying, hurt, deep hurts. Because we are humans and we carry deep hurts. And I've seen this, and I've seen this hundreds of times. Once people encounter Jesus at their pain point, suddenly they're able to forgive what only 15 minutes or 20 minutes before, would, they would, I don't know that they would have been able to. Because it's not you doing some heroic thing. It's you trusting Jesus who you've come to know and experience. And so there's also circles, yeah. right? Circles in your life. Here's you and Jesus only you and Jesus right there. Not even your, not even like your, you know, not even your best friends are in that in a tiniest inner circle. 
That's, that's the holy of holies of your heart, you and Jesus. And then out here is like your closest people, your spouse, your best friends, your kids. Then there's another layer and it's like your, your friends. And there's another layer and it's acquaintances. And there's another layer and it's like, ooh, people who really you don't trust very much. And then there's another layer and it's like Osama bin Laden and Hitler and you know what I mean? Like Ku Klux Klan people. And, and like just because you have forgiven everyone, no matter which circle they're in, does not mean you're required to place those people in those closest circles, right? Forgiveness doesn't look necessarily like they're living in your house or you're always going out for, for food. But it does look like if they were crashed on the side of the road, you would help them. And if the Holy Spirit prompted you to be generous with time or, or something, you know what I mean? You genuinely will what is best for them, but you don't have to be best friends with them after that. You need to make sure with Jesus that there isn't still unforgiveness there, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a healthy boundary there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I resonate with that. And I was a slow learner on the idea of boundaries. I, I didn't pick it up very intuitively. I think I, I kind of associated boundaries with unforgiveness and that's not helpful because then you end up making your life as much chaos as whoever crazy around you wants your life to be. Because, right, just, it's just like the idea of giving something financially to someone who's not managing their money and then you try to bail them out. Now, their chaos that has eaten up all their, food, their money, you, by not having healthy boundaries, are letting it eat up all your money. Mm-hmm. That's not smart, that's not what, and there's people like that emotionally. They have no joy, no love, they don't know who they are, they're not connected to Jesus, so they, they're vampires. They suck everyone around them dry. And then you thinking, oh, if I was loving, I would do this, this, and this for them. And then they're sucking you completely dry. And then you're going, why is my life miserable when they're around, but I'm supposed to love them, what does this mean? And I'm but like, Jesus would confront. So clearly. Jesus told me a a couple years back, he said, Tim, I'm going to make you so confrontational that people will have to get healthy or get out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like fun at all. Because we were having a conversation where I told him I hate conflict. I said, Lord, I hate conflict. I said, Lord, I hate conflict. And he says, we don't, uh, apparently referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, we don't. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because I know that if I just, if, if he says that to me, I know who's wrong. <laughs> you know? I said, I hate conflict. He said, we don't. And his next uh, phrase was, because that's where all the transformation happens. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I was like, oh boy, this doesn't sound like it's going to be easy. 